Welcome in. This is Downtown the Podcast, episode 49. I'm Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell from our Zone Radio studios in Bangor, where the Downtown Radio Show originates every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on WZON, WKIT, HD3, and on the WZON app, also on our website at downtownwithrichkimball.com. Coming up this week, two very interesting conversations. We remind you first that the podcast is brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Coming up, actress Stephanie Drake, who made a name for herself as Don Draper's secretary, Meredith, on Mad Men, is back with a new short film based on that same character, or at least the struggle to find another role after playing Meredith on the acclaimed television series. But first, uh, we talk with the daughter of a television legend. Actor Rod Serling's youngest daughter, Anne, has written a wonderful book about her father called As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling. And we had a chance to talk with her in honor of the new reboot from Jordan Peele on CBS All Access and the coming 60th anniversary of Rod Serling's The Twilight Zone. So much emphasis on your father and his story. But um, when I went back and revisited your wonderful book, As I Knew Him, my dad, Rod Serling, reminded yet again that the Rod Serling you and your family grew up with was very different than the iconic television image. Absolutely, and I think that would surprise a lot of people. And part of that was his, and we saw some of the sense of humor in Twilight Zone, but uh, it was great to read the stories of uh, the voices that he would do, the games he would play with you. Uh, I, I, the milk game is one of my favorites. Can you, can you share that story? Yeah, he would he would try to get my sister and I to drink our milk by telling us, don't drink that, don't drink that, and then he'd whip around, and of course we'd gulp it down, and he'd turn back and say, who drank my milk? And of course, <laughs> you know, at our age, we just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and he had nicknames uh, for all of you as well, and I think people might find it uh, interesting to note that you spent a lot of time watching the Flintstones, which was a favorite, and, and was it... Was it Huckleberry Hound, where he did the voice of one of the characters? Yeah, he was. He was really, actually, quite good at that. You know, he he started his career in in radio, and he went to Antioch College, and uh, they had a work study program where he wrote and directed and acted in in the scripts that he wrote, and he would do Russian accents and and things like that. And and uh, growing up, back circling back to what you said about the Flintstones, yes. We weren't allowed to actually watch TV during the week. It was my mom's rule, and so my dad and I would sneak, uh, yeah, Huckleberry Hound and the Flintstones, and uh, yeah, it was great, great fun, great times. Uh, and he wrote about this a lot in his teleplays and, and interviews. He spoke about it through the years. Uh, his time serving in the Pacific in World War II had a profound impact on him, and then uh, coupled with the loss of his dad while he was serving overseas. That was something that he dealt with in many ways throughout his life, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, you know, he wasn't. He was clearly uh, broken in the war, and he, he wasn't unique to that. I, you know, I think any any vet goes through that. And of course, back then, they didn't really have an awareness of uh, post traumatic stress disorder. It's, I think it was called shell shock at that point. But there really wasn't any treatment. And in fact, before he went to the war, he was. Uh, he thought when he went to college, he'd major in language and literature. But as he said, the war put an end to that. And he realized that he, his original plan, he wanted to work with kids because he 
uh, in teaching them phys ed because he he liked kids and uh, but uh, when he got back he he said that he had to get it off his chest get it out of his gut and he changed his major to language and literature. Yeah, and in and many that, in many ways that writing seemed to be therapy for him. Oh, absolutely, and I, and I think uh, he would say that too. I, I think. Uh, I don't. I think a lot of writers feel like that too. You know, it's cathartic. But certainly, my dad, um, because also, uh, as you said, when he was overseas, even though uh, the war was over, he didn't have enough points to come home, and um, his dad had died, and they wouldn't let him return for the funeral, and uh, that was, you know, needless to say, agonizing for him. His dad was only 52 when he died, so in a in a sense, you know, that script, Walking Distance, which is I think he would have said, although he switched which were his favorites all the time, but I think, you know, in the end, Rich, he would have said that was the one that was nearest and dearest to his heart because certainly the dialogue that he put in for the father, you know, it was sort of giving my dad permission to, to move on and, you know, things in the future can be as beautiful and lovely as they were in the past. So, Well, that. That's my favorite, too, and, uh, and for similar reasons, my mom died uh, when I was pretty young, and, and he talked about uh, that that was often his, his driving urge in a lot of his stories, was that, that desire to somehow turn back the clock, maybe not to go there forever, but to be able to revisit the past. Yeah, he told a class that he taught at Ithaca College, he had a propensity to deal with the past, to write about the past. I watched that, by the way. You uh, sent me a link to some videos of his Ithaca classes, and I watched those today. They were absolutely wonderful. Aren't they? Aren't they? I, I love seeing my dad in you know, sort of that natural format and just hearing him talk. And, and I've actually heard from students that uh, had my dad as a teacher and you know, just thought the world of him. So it's, it's been, um, I just love to hear these personal stories. We're talking with Ann Serling here on Downtown. You mentioned Antioch, and he went there after serving in the military, and so many wonderful stories about his his time there and the kind of person that we saw through his work has certainly emerged. I love the story about him getting angry with anyone who didn't get their hair cut from a Mr. Pemberton. Can you explain the reason why? Uh, yes, he was a, the um, African-American barber, and, and my dad thought that everybody should go to him and was angry that if, if they didn't, because they, he felt, of course, they needed to support him. That's a wonderful story. Um, his hometown of Binghamton figures prominently, of course, in walking distance, and, and that's revisited a lot. And there's also uh, a little slice of your life uh, involved in the fact that uh, you gathered as a family. I found this really interesting. You didn't watch a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes as kids, but every Christmas season, you watched the great episode with Art Carney, Night of the Meek. Right. My dad had, um, first he had an office downstairs in the house, and then he had one built in the backyard. And every Christmas, we would watch Night of the Meek lying on the floor in his office. So, yeah, that was uh, one of the first that I was introduced to. The first one I think I ever watched was uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. <laughs> And uh, I, I knew my dad was a writer, but and a lot of my friends had parents that were writers, but I didn't know exactly what he was writing until I watched that one. And even though Richard Matheson wrote that great episode, it terrified me to have my dad, you know, involved in that and, you know, the, 
monster on the wing and uh, <laughs> yeah. But he was so busy and wrote so many scripts for Twilight Zone and, and of course, other screenplays through the years as well. But what I find fascinating, your, your story is that you had no idea how busy he was because he was always present in your lives. He was there for dinner. He was there to play with you. And yeah, you didn't go into his office when he was writing. But other than that, he, he was not an absent father by any stretch. No, not at all. And and to what you said, yeah, he wrote 92 of 156 of the Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, so yeah, he was very busy. He'd write, he'd get up very early in the morning, go out in the office and write. And uh, then he'd probably drive over to the studio most days. And, but yeah, he was always there for dinner. And when I came home from school, we'd play basketball. I never felt that he wasn't available or, or wasn't present. Sometimes, you know, Rich, when I looked at him, and I, I could tell sometimes when he was writing in his head and he seemed a little distant. But um, yeah, we had, you know, and we, he and I would occasionally take trips together. Uh, so that, those were special as well. His happiest days were clearly spent uh, at the cottage there in upstate New York. Is that still in the family? It is still in the family. It was built on my mother's side, um, so it's probably about 135 years old now. My husband and I were actually married on the cottage porch, but it's it's also about an hour from Binghamton, which, you know, my dad's hometown, and uh, every summer he would take a, a pilgrimage and drive back and go by his old house and the, and the carousel and, you know, just revisit these moments of his past. Would he be surprised 60 years after the debut of Twilight Zone that we're still talking about that show as one of the greats of all time, that there are reboots, and, and that he is revered to this day as one of the most original people in the history of television when he famously said, my stuff is momentarily adequate? He would be staggered, Rich. He would just be staggered that, uh, you know, his legacy has survived all these years. Um, and, and in fact, there's a program in Binghamton that the, all the fifth graders study the Twilight Zone. It's called the Fifth Dimension. And I think my dad would have felt this was the greatest honor. These kids watch these, and they're, they're so smart, and, and they really get it. They learn about, you know, prejudice and mob mentality and scapegoating and irony and um, it's just a tremendous program. Well, I, I'm a teacher as well, and I have used Twilight Zone episodes and scripts through the years. And when I posted on social media that you were coming on, I had three other friends who were teachers who all made comments about using the Twilight Zone to teach writing, to talk about values, every bit as relevant today as they were 55, 60 years ago. Yeah, well, you know, he dealt with... Uh moral issues and social issues, and uh, my friend Mark Dewitziak, who, who writes a lot about Twain, and I guess Twain said he was a, he, Twain, was a moralist in disguise, and he said your the same could be said of your father. You know, but he wrote about the human condition, and uh, time changes, but we don't, whatever that quote is. <laughs> but you only had your dad for 20 years in your life. He died so young back in 1975, but uh, in some way, do the reboots, do the, the Twilight Zone marathons, and the lengthy life of this series um, keep him even more alive to you? Absolutely. You know, in writing my memoir, it took me, really, I had started another book sometime after he died uh, called In His Absence, and I, I hadn't worked through my grief at all, and I wasn't ready to finish that book. 
So writing this book, as I knew him, took about seven, eight years. But it was so cathartic, and you know, just to work through the grief and uh, have him back like that, so present. Well, it's a wonderful book. Uh, as I knew him, my dad, Rod Serling, and uh, it's it's great to learn about Rod Serling, but it's also a wonderful story about family and, and how even the busiest of people uh, can still be there and be be a father and be a huge part of their children's lives. And we're having a wonderful time all this week remembering your dad and the show, and it's been a real treat for us to talk with you this afternoon, Anne. Oh, thanks so much, Rich. Nice to talk to you as well. That is Ann Serling, the daughter of Rod Serling and author of the book, As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling. When we come back, what do you do when you uh, played a role on an iconic television series and you're looking for work? Well, if you're actress Stephanie Drake, you write, you star in, and you produce a short film about that very subject. That's up next here on Downtown, the podcast. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Back on Downtown, the podcast. And our next guest played Meredith to Don Draper, played by John Hamm, of course, on the acclaimed television series, Mad Men. She is back with a new short film called After Meredith, that she not only stars in, but wrote and produced as well. Here's our conversation about After Meredith with actress Stephanie Drake. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. Well, very excited about this new movie that uh, you put together with with some help, but uh, you did a lot of the heavy lifting yourself on After Meredith. Yes, I sure did. It was the hardest thing I've done in my career thus far. Well, you wrote it, uh, you star in it, and you produced it. Uh, what did the producing piece of it entail? Oh, gosh, everything. <laughs> um, gosh, so I got the idea last summer and called up a girlfriend of mine and said, let's try and make this. She was on board. We started having pre-production meetings. We got a director on board. And then about six months later, we shot it. And then six months after that, we actually finished it. And the producing is, it literally is everything. It's, you know, getting ideas and troubleshooting and hiring people. And I learned so much. Well, it certainly paid off. Uh, you let us get a little glimpse behind the curtain and watch the movie before its official release, and it's af- absolutely wonderful. Can you, uh, without giving away too much here, uh, basically it involves uh, your struggle trying to figure out what to do after Mad Men wrapped. Yes. So, as most actors can probably relate, you're on a show and you're working pretty consistently, and then all of a sudden the show ends, and you have nothing to do. So I wanted to showcase that, and because I went through that, 
personally. And I had, you know, talks with friends, like, what am I going to do next? I have all this free time. You get bored so fast. And, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but I do figure out what I want to do next. (laughs) And I do it. And then that goes terribly wrong. (laughs) So, you know, it's loosely based on my real life, but it's a great little story. It's 12 minutes long. And I'm thrilled with how it turned out. Well, the cast is terrific as well. Uh, Some of the the patients that you encounter, uh, they're just fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to already know the woman who plays Miss Breyer. Her name (laughs) is Peggy Pantone. And we were in an acting class together for years. And I've always loved her work. I think she's the cutest thing ever. And I sent her the script. She loved it. She couldn't wait to do it. And then we had a slight um, blip with her because she was maybe going to have cataract surgery that same weekend we were planning on shooting. But luckily that all worked out and she got to do it. And her cataract surgery went very well. And all of the other um, people in the senior center that we worked with were from a class here in L.A. that is for older actors. Well, so I had gotten in touch with the teacher, and he let the class know what was going on, and then they all showed up that day, and it was, it was so much fun. The bad news is, though, Stephanie, there are going to be security people watching the next time you go to any senior center. They're not going to let you in. <laughs> Yeah, probably true. (laughs) Uh, For anybody who wants to watch after Meredith, and my goodness, you should because it's terrific, uh, what's the easiest way for them to do that? So I will have all of the links up tomorrow. Anyone can go to my website, which is stephaniemdrake.com, or you can follow along on my Instagram, which is at stephaniedrake one. Or on my Twitter, which is just at Stephanie Drake. Uh, we talked with you last time you were on about Madman. We loved your role so much, and and that show doesn't go away. People are going back and watching it a second and a third time. Is there is there one favorite episode or one favorite Meredith Don Draper moment as you look back on it? Oh gosh, if I only had to pick one, I would say. My favorite moment is still when Joan throws the airplane <laughs> on the desk at me. That was, and I was like still so new to the show. I think that was my third episode. And to get to be involved in such still an iconic moment like that. And people still ask about it. People still right on my Twitter page, surprise, there's an airplane here to see you. (laughs) And I have a little piece of the airplane, one of the many airplanes that was thrown at me that day, in my, (laughs) um, like on one of my shelves with all of my Mad Men stuff. (laughs) Well, and you talked about uh, there is some truth, obviously, in After Meredith. Do you find... Uh, that that challenge that actors always have when you're in an iconic series or a movie or play an iconic role that, that when you go for auditions or when there are scripts out there that people can only see you in that role. 
Well, I haven't really experienced that yet. Good. Um, I wish I could get more jobs um, playing characters like Meredith. If I could only play a character like her for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. <laughs> um, it was so much fun. But no, I think enough time has passed now. Um, I, I'm sad to say a lot of casting directors maybe don't even remember it anymore. But I still will always. Meredith will live on forever. Well, and certainly among fans of the show, it, it will as well. <laughs> now, also, Stephanie, uh, some very exciting personal news for you as well. It's not enough to have a new movie coming out. Uh, you got some other exciting plans in the works. Yes. Well, I'm getting married in a few months. That's awesome. So that will. Yeah. Thank you. Looking forward to that. I actually have to stuff our wedding invitations right after I hang up with you. Well, well we'd best let you get to it again. That's pretty important <laughs> stuff right there. But uh, after Meredith is absolutely delightful. Uh, go to Stephanie's website, learn more about it. You'll want to watch it. Uh, it really is a fun movie and uh, shows off your skills as both an actor and a writer and certainly as a producer. We wish you nothing but continued success, Stephanie. It's so great to have you back on with us again. Thank you so much. Stephanie Drake talking about her new film, After Meredith. A lot of fun. Check it out. You can find it online. Uh, go to Stephanie's webpage for more information as well. Thanks to Stephanie. Thanks to Ann Serling as well. And thanks to you for joining us. Hope to catch you next time right here on, my goodness, Carrie, will we have a party uh, next week's episode, number 50? Will there be a balloons, a parade, something like that? There really should be. I mean, the half century mark is a milestone. We'll, come, we'll think of something. We have a week to come up with something to celebrate. Uh, but whatever it is, we'll share it with you. Unless it's food and it's tough in this current podcast meeting. Yeah, they haven't developed the taste of it. Someday that, that will happen. Soon. If, if we're still on, just you know, we owe you one. Remember that. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. Brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. See you next time on Downtown.